Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the second episode of the Freaking Geeks podcast. I'm Michael, and with me, as always, is Sarah. Hey, Freaks and Geeks. So, uh, this is um, kind of hitting towards the end of the, you know, the October calendar. And so, of course, we're getting towards Halloween and it's the end of the month. I think next year, because we'll have the whole month of October to really, you know, dig into more more horror films, uh, that'll be fun. But we kind of only had about two weeks, really didn't give us a lot of time. Uh, I think we might have one more episode to do with like Halloween movies. So it's going to be a few days after Halloween, maybe. Uh, because I we talked about maybe doing an episode where we don't go in deep on a specific movie, but we just kind of rank our, our favorite like horror films of all time and top why. Ten. Yeah, top 10, you know, spend a few minutes talking about each one of our movies one why we like it really so that might be for next week um but this will be the final one for like halloween uh movies so anyway so let's get into uh the the news so why don't you take over our news section Uh, for news um well Gilmore Girls trailer came out, and that was pretty exciting for both of us because we're huge gillies, I guess is the correct terminology. Uh, so we were very, very excited about that. Um, the trailer looks amazing. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen Gilmore Girls, it's, you know, it's not just a chick flick. It's incredibly smart, you know, the music and the, like... Pop culture references, everything's kind of incredible, and the references all through the entire show. It's like a weird culty thing, but it's phenomenal. You got to watch it. Recommend right. it, it to anybody. Yeah, it's um, it's not. I think for everybody, you know, you have to. I think you have to be willing to roll with the dialogue and. The way it's done, it's very fast-paced dialogue. It's like the old 1940s, 1930s, 1940s um, transatlantic kind of talk. You know, it's really, really quick. Um, like Catherine Hepburn, you know, old Catherine Hepburn movies. Uh, I believe like the Phil- uh, the Philadelphia Story. I think is a good idea if if you like Gilmore Girls, if you watch the Philadelphia Story and you like how they speak. Uh, it's very similar, except obviously with Gilmore Girls, there's a, a lot of pop culture references, which obviously wasn't part of the dialogue of the Philadelphia story, but that very quick, snappy dialogue. Um, yeah, like, but I remember it, hearing yeah. that um, like their script pages, their like normal script pages, like 40 pages long, but theirs were like 90 pages long per right. episode. Right. Well, because there's, there was just so much dialogue, so much more exactly. dialogue. So, so crazy. Yeah. Right. Yep. So that uh, trailer came out. We watched it a Many lot. Times. And uh, yeah, so we're excited because it, it comes out next month, I believe, on the 25th. Is that right? Yeah, 25th. 25th. The 25th. So, you know, the You'll day that comes out. probably hear us right. talk about it. <laughs> we will talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um. So this is like weird news, but I thought it was funny enough to bring up. Um, I was like flipping through, you know, news 
on my phone, you know, like the American news where it's like, you know, death here, murder here, gun shooting, blah, blah, blah. And then I get to Canadian news. And our top story was um, our prime minister, Justin Trudeau, a protester was throwing pumpkin seeds at him. <laughs> and this was a Green Party candidate that is apparently has a huge crush on Justin Trudeau and is obsessed with him. So she drew little hearts on all these pumpkin seeds that was throwing them at him. I'm like, that's Canada for you. Like, that sums up Canada in a nutshell. Like, just nutter butters. <laughs> right. Well, I'll, I'll take that over what we've got. So, <laughs> right. Like, that's the worst we have. Like, like I could just see one of his guards, like, just taking a dive so he doesn't get hit in the eye with one of these things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I love our country. <laughs> r- r- risking his life for... Uh, <laughs> Salt by a pumpkin seed. It could hit his eye. Get him. <laughs> right. He could be blinded in his eye. You never right. know. They're salted. No. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> right. Yeah, that, that's just like right there. That's the difference between America and Canada. Canada, if that's the worst you got to worry about, you're fine. Uh, America, well, this isn't a politics podcast and, and or current events uh, that affect the United States podcast, you know, so that's not really the thing we get into, but, uh, but that's a nice lighthearted moment for Canada. Yeah, I thought it was pretty cute. <laughs> right. Um, so the Fan Expo is coming up in two weeks up in Canada. Uh, unfortunately, like, my hype is, like, dived because Jillian Anderson won't be there anymore, but Carrie Fisher has signed on. Hmm. Nice. Which is pretty cool. So she released her prices <laughs> and they're like double everyone else's. So we're like, oh, uh, maybe I'll just like run by you and take a picture and then run away. <laughs> <laughs> like you're like this, you just like run up and be like, hey, you're like, hey, Carrie, look. And she like glances up and you're like, click, thanks. And then you just sprint. Bye. Right. <laughs> right. There's $120 just for her autograph. I'm like, I like you, but it maybe not worth quite that much in your estimation, right? No, like I didn't pay that much for Kristen Stewart's autograph, and I'm way more obsessed. <laughs> so yeah, I guess it's fair to say that you're not paying 120 dollars. No, so <laughs> definitely not. I have better things to buy. Right. Sorry, Carrie. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> But that's pretty much all the news this week. There well, hasn't been like crazy. Well, actually, there is the Brian Fuller stuff. Right, right, right. Almost forgot about that. Um, so yeah, Brian Fuller has stepped down as showrunner from Star Trek Discovery. So you know, on one hand, it's like I'm not a huge Star Trek fan. I I watch it. It's in the background. My husband's a huge Trekkie, so it's kind of always on around here. But I was, you know, super psyched for Brian Fuller to be part of like, oh, I'm actually going to watch this religiously. And But now I'm kind of actually a little happy. <laughs> Step down I'm like, hey, time to devote your time back to Hannibal because you're contracted the Amazons up in August, I think. Yep. Right. So, yeah, I hope he's right now just like devoting like all the time to getting the cast, you know, syncing their schedules, like what's happening in their own projects right now getting the cast back together <laughs> yeah this is really the best thing that could have happened to hannibal seriously you're right yeah. because it frees up so much more time 
you know, and I think he really, he really wants to get this done. And I guess the, the script is done. The, the scripts are all done based on, I think comments that I I'd heard, uh, months and months ago, like they're all done. They're ready to go. Like they could probably, I mean, if the cast was all signed on and they could, they could probably just start shooting. Yeah. Just whip it out in a couple months and be done and go back to their own projects. But I think they could probably, you know, just dive right in. Yeah. No, I mean, of course they have to do, you know, scouting and locations and all that stuff. I mean, obviously it's not like, it's not like, oh, we can start shooting tomorrow. It's not that simple. But, and they'll have to cast Clarice. Well, <laughs> yeah. But I, I don't want to get my hopes up too much. Don't want to think about that too much. So uh, we'll hold off. And if we get any more news, then we'll have to do a, a Hannibal episode. And not on this podcast, of course. You know, we have our Hannibal podcast. So we'll do an episode for that if we get any kind of update news wise. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That'd be just huge for us. <laughs> right. Hey, that's the first podcast I ever did. So Exactly. It's kind that's of a it's, where I started it's, listening. Right. It's very important. So, all right. Um, is there any other news then? Is that it, I think? That's it for, you know, pop culture news. <laughs> okay. All right. So this week, uh, as you can probably tell by the title of the episode that you just started listening to. This week, we are covering The Babadook. Mm-hmm. Right. So, I watched this movie about six months ago. It was uh, something that popped up on my screen. You know, like, like you know, you'll see uh, an ad or something. And I looked it up on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was just 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. And the score was ridiculous. I mean, it was like, I think, 8.3 out of 10. I mean, critics... We're going crazy for this thing. I'm like reading reviews. Uh, I'm looking online. People are just raving left and right about this movie. So I thought, okay, you know, it's not often, it's not that often that you see a horror movie get that kind of critical score, a critical acclaim. You know, I mean, most horror movies are a dime a dozen. And and today they fall under a few camps, right? You got the found footage, right? Like Blair Witch Project or The Visit, you know, stuff like that. Right. Or then you got like the torture porn, like Saw, you know, uh, the Hills Have Eyes, things like that. Yep. So a lot of horror, it, it leaves a lot to be desired, at least in my opinion. You know, I want good stuff. I want, you know, smart. I want something intelligent, something that has a soul, maybe would be nice. Um, so I watched it and I loved it. I love this movie. I was obsessed with this movie for like, a week or two after I watched it. I was like reading all the interviews I could find. I was reading everything I could online from people that had written about the film. Um, I, I couldn't get enough. I really couldn't. And so when you talked about doing Halloween movies or horror movies for this month, since we decided to start in October, I very quickly decided that the Babadook was going to be my selection from the start. Yeah. And it's, it's really... The first half of this movie, I was just kind of like, like, what's going on? Like, that's not horror. It's just, it's kind of depressing and sad and really psychological, emotional. And only in like the second half, maybe, you know, the last third of this movie does it start getting like, you know, like a horror movie, super creepy and uh, 
stuff starts happening. And so it was throwing me through a few loops because I to this moment, I don't know what to exactly make of it. Because <laughs> on one hand, it, yeah, it could be this, you know, cryptid-esque monster that's in their home and in their lives. And you know, it's a part of them. Or, you know, it could be completely psychological in the mother. So, like, I mean, the son, you know, he was, like, seeing this thing. But that could just be, you know, the monster from this book. He was having nightmares about me. He's six years old. But it kind of, like, um, cultivated inside of her. And she just kind of had a psychological breakdown. And, you know, all of this kind of manifested in her mind and kind of made her absolutely insane. And uh, she became it. Okay. All right. So before we go any further, really quickly, let everyone know what happened to your computer, right? Because the reason why you're having this reaction right now is at least partially due to the circumstances that affected your ability to watch this movie and I guess really let it marinate, you know, give you time to really sit and think about it. Because this is the kind of movie that when it ends, you, you just kind of sit back and you just think because it just, yeah. it just, it can't help it. You can't help letting it kind of creep into the crevices in your mind and just kind of takes over. You know, it's just one of those movies where all you want to do is devote like a couple of hours of just meditation on it. So let everyone know exactly what happened. <laughs> All right, so I went to watch this last night, and, you know, Michael was kind enough to give me fair warning that, you know, the dog gets it in this movie, and yeah, I like animals more than like people, so it bothers me. So I went online just to, you know, other people like me, you know, figure out what point of this movie this happens so I can just keep an eye out for it so I can skip over it. And I go on this site called, you know, whendodogsdie.com. <laughs> <laughs> Within five seconds of clicking on this site, my computer just goes black and Microsoft initializes Watchdog, trying to rid my computer of whatever got on it. And after, you know, having my friend who is a professional IT technician you know, try and help me fix my computer, nothing worked. I ended up wiping my entire computer and reinstalling Microsoft. So I kind of had a premeditated hatred for this for like a whole day. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of had to be like, okay, it's not the movie's fault. You know, let it go. Just watch it. But yeah, I wasn't very happy. Oh, Like this is all Michael's fault. <laughs> it's all my fault. It's, uh, it's my way of torturing you. Yeah. He had to tell me about the dog. Like he had to be nice about it. And that's his fault. <laughs> so what you don't realize is I set up that website. So <laughs> I'm just like, you know, I'm mad at her right now. I'm just going to fuck up her whole day. <laughs> right. So you got done with this like five minutes before we jumped online. <laughs> yep. Right. So that's it's why. It's still all brewing yeah. in my head. Right. So that's why, you know, she's basically her analysis, everything, all her opinions are really off the cuff. I mean, this is coming straight from having watched this movie a very short while ago. So yeah. And that's it. That's actually not a bad thing. It's kind of cool because it, it, you get to talk about what you think of it. And then, you know, whereas with me, I think mean, I've formed my opinion in a long time ago. So over a good solid year or two. <laughs> right. Right. So yeah, it, I have a pretty good idea of, of what this is actually about. So so you did research into it. So did you actually like research into the lore of this? Is this like a real story? 
No, the Babadook is not a real story in that it's not based on some urban legend, uh, at least none that I'm aware of. And as far as I can tell, nobody online has ever pointed it out. It was made uh, up. Okay, so this was directed by Jennifer Kent. Okay, she it's her first feature film. She was actually an actor for a couple of decades. And then back in the late 90s, she kind of just lost steam as an actor. She fell out of love with acting and she wanted to be a director after that. And so she wrote uh, Lars von, I'm going to broach his name, Lars von Trier, uh, the director, he's directed so many movies, uh, but one of them is like Dogville. She wrote to him and said that she wanted to observe what he does on set. She wanted to be a director and he accepted her and invited her onto the set to assist him on the movie Dogville. And uh, that was, in her her words, that was her um, crash course in directing. That was her film school. Gotcha. And and so, uh, and then she wrote and directed a short film called, I believe, Monster. And it's kind of like the baby version of The Babadook because it's a short <laughs> film. Uh, it's not exactly, I believe, it's not exactly The, the Babadook, but it, it has a lot of similar themes and ideas in there and like a stepping stone right and it the, it just stuck with her it, year after year and eventually she she wrote the babadook she wrote i believe five drafts of the babadook before she settled on the the one that she wanted so this movie if you want my quick summation uh before kind of diving in the Babadook is the symbolic representation of the corrosive effect grief and depression can have along with uh, a mother unconsciously blaming her son for the death of her husband. Yeah. That's really what this is about. The Babadook, the Babadook, the Babadook doesn't actually exist as an entity. Um, If you're confused by the fact that the sun can see it, it's not that I believe that the sun can see the actual Babadook. He's simply aware of the monster that is inside his mother. You know, he can sense it. That's what I think as well. Right. Um, And you can tell that he, it's like this has been slowly building up over the years because he from the get-go from the earliest scenes he is obsessed with both magic which is cool it's great but he's also obsessed with fighting monsters he's creating all these weapons uh pretty impressive for a kid he can create some some of this stuff himself which for a seven-year-old is pretty great yeah i was kind of thinking he has to be like he kind of has like some of the mannerisms and you know the intelligence of someone who has like mouth autism. So I think that's probably what they were going with a child who you know is high maintenance for the mother and who's already going through you know depression and grief, but having to deal with the you know a child who's a little more high maintenance and very smart would be an added burden to her life at that moment. <laughs> oh, he's certainly precocious. There's no doubt about oh, yeah. that. He's very observant. He as the uh, the elderly neighbor says, uh, midway through the film, 
she says, you know, he he doesn't miss anything. That one, you know, he sees he sees things for what they are. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so, um, so all right, so that's like the basic, you know, my basic opinion of what this movie is about. However, of course, it merits a much deeper discussion. So, <laughs> why don't we kind of dive right in? Okay. So before we get into the analysis. Um, we're going to play the trailer, the audio for the trailer for The Babadook. Um, so I have a few clips I want to play throughout this today. Uh, the first thing is the trailer, so uh, we'll play that now. Where'd you get this? On the shelf. If it's in a word or it's in a look, you can't get rid of The Babadook. A rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. Nothing bad's gonna happen, Sam. Did he think that about my dad before he died? He sees things as they are, that one. I promise to protect you if you promise to protect me. Oh, my God. Did he hurt anyone? The boy has significant behavioural problems. This monster thing has got to stop, all right? It's just a book. It can't hurt you. Stalking me and my child. You can't get rid of the pepper dog. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. You can bring me the boy. Okay, so, you know, what did you think of the trailer? Was it suitably creepy? It was very much like estimation of the late, latter half of this movie. It was very much playing on the, you know, creepy, there's something in my house kind of aspect. And very mildly hinting at, you know, um, a mother kind of breaking down. Mm-hmm. Right. That's kind of what I think about it, but... It was very just horror-esque and wasn't really delving into anything more than the horror aspect of this movie. Right. Well, yeah, if you watch this trailer, it can come across, I believe it comes across when you watch, at least to me, as nothing more than your typical 
horror movie that you'll find yeah. anywhere today. You know, it really focuses on, like you said, the latter half of this movie where the action really, really ramps up. So you're, you're seeing, you know, the Babadook and, you know, uh, she's screaming and all this stuff that's happening. And it, it's unsettling, but you don't think initially that it's anything more or less than something that you see all the time. So that I believe was probably just the marketing. I mean, they, they, of course they want to, you know, put the, the most energetic moments in the film into the trailer to get you to come see the movie. So it's not the first time and it certainly won't be the last where the trailer doesn't really reflect the movie itself in terms of what it's really about or even just the tone and the in the mood because they focus so heavily on all that they don't they don't really give you what this is really about right so and i think it was probably a smart move you know you showing them a person like there's lots of people who absolutely love the horror genre so they see something that's kind of new and creepy it, it hooks people and once you know you get a good audience that's kind of hooked into it they get to see the broader vision of this movie and then that just kind of cultivates you know it spreads more people will watch it sure um but i don't know it's it's just you see a lot of trailers where they either give you way too much information or essentially give you everything and say like why am i watching this movie (laughs) or they misrepresent what the movie is really like uh there's a perfect example of this is a movie that came out about about 10 years ago, maybe nine, 10 years ago, called The Bridge to, Bridge to Terabithia. Oh my okay. God, that movie. Right. So if you watch the trailer, the trailer is nothing, absolutely nothing like what this movie really is. It's They, they make it out to be like Lord of the Rings or something. Mm-hmm. And it, like it, younger kids. Yeah, and it is absolutely nothing like that. It does... <laughs> It's like, if you go, if you haven't read the book, right, and you go in and sit and watch this movie, having watched the trailer and think you're going to get this, um, this adventure and there's creatures and everything, you're going to come out of that movie a little angry, I think. You know, yeah, you may like the movie, but at the same time, you're disappointed because what you saw bears almost no resemblance to what the trailer was, what you were expecting. And while they don't really do it, to that level with this, you know, they just, they focus on the more energetic parts of, of the movie. And so, you know, but anyway, it isn't a bad trailer by any stretch because it's definitely very, very unsettling and very creepy. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very horror genre esque general. Right. All right. So let's get in, let's get into talking a little bit about this movie. So, so the opening scene is, you know, um, Amelia, you know, she's in what appears to be like a car or something, but all of a sudden there's glass everywhere. Her face is, you know, there's bright light on her face and she's kind of slowly spinning and she looks over and she sees her husband. And then all of a sudden you hear Samuel screaming for his mother. You know, and she's kind of floats down on the bed. She wakes up and then it cuts to them looking underneath the bed and opening up the closet. And, you know, you get the sense that this is a nightly ritual 
Yeah, it's this, routine for her. Right. Um, and maybe it's something that he wakes her up all the time to do. Or maybe it's just something that she does, you know, before bed. And then sometimes maybe he gets scared and she has to wake up and, and go through the same thing over and over again. So uh, but it's like a well-oiled machine at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So... You, but you, you kind of get this sense in the preceding scenes of what their day-to-day life is like, right? So Basically, like, her taking care of him nonstop. Her life is stress-filled with constant, you know, calls from the school and her friends and relatives. Right. And he's... um. You know, he loves he loves magic, right? He loves magic and he loves to create weapons. But why does he love to create weapons? Because there are monsters. Now, let's face it. He's a seven-year-old kid, right? So there's monsters everywhere. Every Almost every kid at seven thinks there's monsters under the bed. There's monsters in the closet. Um, so initially, you don't really think too much of that, right? I mean, it's just like, okay, every kid has a fear of monsters. Yeah, exactly, like. That's the age you start seeing like shadows and stuff. Right. And shadows take on so, so much more meaning than if they do when you're, you're older. You know, when you're older, they're just yeah, shadows. But as a kid, they're like evil is, is within those shadows. You know, personally. <laughs> oh, okay. So let me tell you a, a quick little story um, to illustrate this exact thing. When I was a kid, my mom, my mom worked, right? She was a single mother, so a lot like Amelia is here. And so when she was gone, there, you know, I lived in a neighborhood, so there was a lot of, of kids to play with. And there were some older girls, and my mom would often get them to, to watch me, right? So one hot summer day, they were watching me, but they made me watch A Nightmare on Elm Street, and then A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, and then A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 3. So nice. So having six hours of Freddy Krueger at the age of five, I believe. Um, not That's the, nice. Not the best idea. I'm just, just saying you might want to hold off until at least the age of seven or eight. I'm just kidding. Oh, screw no, that, like no, 15. Um, right. No, no, no. I'm just kidding. No. Seriously, it, it it's terrible uh, to have a five-year-old kid or any kid under, yeah, under the age of like 15, 16 uh, to watch A Nightmare on Elm Street. So I was, of course, I was traumatized and I could not sleep. I was so scared. And so when I would lay in bed at night, uh, the way my bed was situated, I, if I looked to my right... Um, then my head was kind of looking straight at where the door frame was, right? And across from the door is a window, and the the moon would often shine through that window at night at a certain point. And so there would be shadows playing on the wall and especially on the door frame. So for me, and you're a five-year-old kid, and you've just watched Freddy Krueger, uh, the shadows begin to take on form. And so for me, I was convinced that I could see, you know, Freddy's, you know, clawed hand curling around the door frame. And then I would see his like leering face kind of peering around the edge of the door. And yeah, I mean, and it's like, it's real. This is real. 
this is actually happening. And so, of course, my covers would fly over my head and I would lay there shaking and crying until I fell asleep. So <laughs> this was... Uh, childhood trauma. Right. So this was, a, this was a common thing. So I can understand when you're that young and certainly I can understand Samuel believing that there are monsters and he's going to create weapons to protect both himself and his mother. Yeah, that's something like through this whole movie, that kid, you know, has an absolutely undying love for his mother, a need to protect her, and, you know, does not want her to die whatsoever. Like, no, no six-year-old should think that their parents, you know, could die. It's so sad. Right. So, he gets in trouble at school, though, because... <laughs> because of... Because he likes to do this to create weapons and protect himself. The bad thing is he takes some of these things to school. And of course, we're talking like crossbows and darts and all kinds of, of things. And based on the conversation that Amelia gets with the school officials, this is not the first time. It's probably happened many, many times. They had a lot of chats. Um, they've probably had Sam there in the room with them. But no matter what they say or what Amelia says it doesn't change the fact that he's bringing weapons to school and they, they've had enough. Yeah, and it's kind of amazing that they've tolerated this far. I mean, in this day and age, you kid brings a weapon to school, like, half the time you call the police nowadays, like, because it's such a huge thing and they lock down the whole school. It's kind of insane. Right. So uh, I want to take a, a little step back because there's a scene before they leave for school, which I think is really important. Um, because it is something you see reoccur throughout the film. So it's when Sam is in the living room, all right, and he's in his magician's costume, and he's he whips out the flowers for his mom, and she smiles, and he, he gives them to her. And then he reaches out with his, his gloved hand, and he caresses her cheek. Yeah. Right? And it elicits a reaction which is unusual, to say the least, right? Yeah, for sure. So she she doesn't like contact. No, with she Sam. kind of winces away. Right, and she tells him to stop. That that it's too much. It, don't do that. Um, because she can't she can't take she can't take the affection that he's he's giving her. You know, he wants it. He needs it. He wants he loves his mother. Yeah. And it it's actually really painful to see that level of dismissiveness. Yeah, and it's like it's like she is, you know, sustaining him and taking care of him, but it's emotional neglect. She's not, you know, emotionally satisfying the needs he has, you know, for a son mother bond. Right. For their bond is very on one hand, it's loving in that you know that you know that she loves her son, but it's also very distant at the same time, and I think it's very confusing for him because he knows that his mom loves him, but yet she always keeps him at arm's length at the same time. Yeah, just because I'm sure when she sees him, she just sees you know her husband. Right. So they she picks up Samuel. And uh, they go visit Auntie Claire. Yeah. <laughs> at the at the park, and that's when we find out that 
Oscar, her husband, Amelia's husband, died on the way to the hospital when she was pregnant with Samuel. In labor. In labor. That's just awful. And, and because of that, she always celebrates Samuel's birthday the same time as Claire's daughter, Rosie's birthday. So it's obviously, you know, that day is a very painful reminder of her losing her husband. Right? Yeah. So she doesn't want to have to celebrate on a day where she's just nothing but feeling grief. Right. And, you know, Claire even says, you know, how does she say that? She says, you know, you'd, I, I know you don't like to talk about, you know, this day. You know, it's such a painful day. And Amelia's like, Oh, I, I I talk about it or, you know, I, it's not like a, she, she really does. She like brushes it aside, you know, like it's like, oh, I, oh yeah. You know, I, I, I'm fine. I'm fine. It's not a big deal, but it, it's something where you feel like she really goes out of her way every year to, to not think about this day. And of course I understand it's a painful reminder. It's, it's this awful thing that happened, but she doesn't talk about it. She, she just kind of pushes it down deep down inside of her, you know, just kind of let hides from it. I think. Yeah. Just like you can see that every day she wears this mask for everyone else. And it just feels like you get closer to that date. That mask is getting thicker and thicker and it's starting to like crack. <laughs> right. Like, it's just unfolding. And her mentality is just, so fragile. Right. Right. And so they, they go home. It's nighttime. You know, same usual ritual. You know, check under the bed, check in the closet. And Sam pulls down a book because it's his turn, you know, to select a book that night for for Amelia to read. And he pulls down this book, which she doesn't know where this book came from. Right. And it's called The Babadook. So, Mr. Babadook. Mr. Babadook, yes. So I'm going to play you the clip here of her reading the book to, to Samuel. And uh, so, you know, hey, look, if you've seen this movie, then, I mean, I'm hopefully, I've, hopefully you've seen this movie um, before you're, you know, listening to this review. But uh, this is a clip of her reading it, and we'll let you listen to this now. If it's in a word or it's in a look. You can't get rid of the Babadook. <laughs> a rumbling sound, then three sharp knocks. That's when you'll know he's around. You'll see him if you look. This is what he wears on top. He's funny, don't you think? See him in your room at night. Mum, does it hurt the boy? Okay, so what were your thoughts when you listened to this clip again? Because, you, well, you just watched the movie, so... Yeah. Right. So this story was just, like, 
at first begins where it's just like, oh, you know, it's, you know, one of those, you know, kids kind of spooky tales that just gets so dark and creepy and the imagery gets just darker and creepier until it's like this poor kid, he's just like screaming, like, is he like going to be under the bed and is he coming in? Like, it's a new monster for him to fear. And you just see like the horror on her face. Like, oh my God, there's something like new for my son to fear. It's going to be more stress, more to handle. Like, that's at that point. That's all she's thinking. Like, this is just like some you know, horrifying book that's found its way into my son's bookcase. So now I have to, you know, comfort him, which is so hard for her, especially at this time of the year. Like the, you can just see in her eyes, they're so numb at this moment, just dead inside having to deal with this. Right. I mean, he's screaming because, you know, the imagery is, is quite frightening as you get Very. and um, you know, it's what sets him off is the scene where the Babadook is like hovering over this child and it's scary. It really is. Um, and he's screaming and crying and she's reading what appears to be uh, probably a book they read all the time. Right. So, but it doesn't matter. I mean, the damage has been done. Yeah. He's not going to sleep that night. Right. And she, she continues to read the book after he goes to bed. And you know, if it's, if it's in a word, if it's in a look, you can't get rid of the Babadook. And it's just, it's just a creepy, it's just a creepy book. It's a, everything's creepy about it. And it's, I love the look of the book too. Yeah, like, the book is the one thing that's kind of, like, the in-between between, you know, whether you believe the story is, you know, it's a real thing or it's in her mind because we don't know where this thing came from and how the hell it came to be, you know, put back together or stuff, you know? Right, and I I can't imagine finding something like this, right? Like, finding this and sitting down to read it and, I mean... Let's just ignore for a fa- for the moment that she's never seen this book before, you know. Just the fact that you open this thing up and you're you're reading it, and it, it's just the creepiest, most awful thing that you've probably ever read is is this book. In the form of a children's book, like that's so unsettling. Right. So we we can tell in the preceding scenes that she suffers from insomnia. Um, you know, she's got Samuel to deal with. She's got a stressful job. And she often, I think, spends most of her nights sitting in front of this television. And you can just see, like, she's just sitting there, just staring, staring, staring. And you you can't even tell if she's actually paying attention to what's going on. Or if it's just something that soothes her mind, just kind of puts white noise into her brain. Right. So, um... So one thing we didn't mention was there's a scene very early on where she is at work, right? Because she takes care of elderly people and she interacts with this guy at her job. And you can... Oh, yeah. Women should be in the kitchen. (laughs) Well, yeah. And thankfully, I mean, he's just joking and everything. Yeah. But at first I was like, well, you're a dick. Right, right. (laughs) But then I'm like, oh, okay. It's kind of (laughs) cute. Right. And what I got from this scene the first time I watched it, I mean, right from the get-go... You could tell, like, he's interested in her, and you feel like there's interest on her end, too, right? Like, they've got this good little rapport, like, they joke around and stuff, so 
this isn't two people that work together and never talk. You get the sense that these two actually have a pretty good work relationship going on. They're just a little bit friendly with each other. All right. So she at home, um, after the Babadook thing, and she kind of flips through it, reading it, uh, she puts it up on the shelf, and, and then after she's watching TV, she goes up to bed, and she pulls out a vibrator. Yeah, and my first thought is, like, with everything you deal with, that is not big enough, honey. <laughs> <laughs> right. You need something a little more substantial, maybe. <laughs> exactly. That's my first thought. I'm like, that is not going to do the trick for what you have to deal with. <laughs> you need you need something a little more fulfilling, I'm guessing. Um, <laughs> yeah, good choice of words. Right. So, here's the thing. Um, I... The book, well, okay. The movie never explicitly says when the last time was that she she had sex, um, or even the last time she went out on a date. In fact, I would go so far as to say that I don't think she's dated anybody since her husband died. No, I don't. I, I don't. I I'm not even sure if she's had sex since her husband died. No, I'm pretty sure that that's just not something she's done right but she's still way not over it right and and i mean to fulfill stress relief for stress relief purposes she obviously <laughs> has something to help her out a little bit don't blame her right <laughs> i would not blame that woman she definitely needs it <laughs> unfortunately her her um her attempts at sun is the worst timing. Her, her, yeah, her uh, attempts at um, stress relief are unfortunately interrupted at the height <laughs> of height of uh, uh, that moment. Um, and I'm pretty sure that her actually, I'm, I'm thinking her actually doing this is what woke Sam up. I think. Maybe. I mean, I'm not saying she's being particularly loud, obviously, but I don't think it takes much to wake Sam up. Yeah. Because he comes in and into a kid, of course, he's seven, so he doesn't know, he doesn't know anything. So no. he probably is just thinking like the Babadook is, is getting my mom or something, right? Because he just bursts in and oh, I felt so bad for her. I'd have been like, kid, you go out in the hall and wait five minutes. Right. Right. <laughs> like, nope. Because he bursts in, he's like, it's in my room, it's in my room. And she's just like, no, no, no. It's like, you can tell she's just like, okay, I've got to get control of myself here for just a second, you know. Like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, be back. <laughs> right. And I was a little surprised, actually, that she put him on the bed, like, to sleep there. Like, I think that would be the last thing going through my mind is, okay, I've just been, you know, pleasuring myself. And then my son comes in and it's like... Uh, okay, and I know he. Okay, so he's seven. Okay, and he mm -hmm. he doesn't know obviously anything regarding you know sex, but I think okay. There's so she's laying there, she's exhausted, and her pleasure has been interrupted, and he proceeds to hug her, like like wrap his arms around her, and I think. I think in that time, that's the last thing I would want. I mean, I know it, it's her son, but that's just like touching her, 
not specifically in a bad way, but it's just like, okay, I, I can't deal with this at the moment. Like, don't, nobody touch me at all. Nothing. Not, yeah, not right. To calm down. Right. Not right now. Um, but he's just, he, he needs her attention and her affection. And yeah, so. I definitely would use the line, like, I'm just going to go make you a snack or get you a glass of water or something just to, you know, put like five minutes in between there. Right. And she hears a noise. You know, it, it's, she hears a noise. A floorboard creaks outside like her, her door. And she closes up whatever book she's reading and she crawls under the covers. Yeah. Right. And then it, it's very childlike thing to do. Right. Yeah. So, you know, she goes, she goes to work. She's of course, caring for the elderly. Her coworker obviously sees that she's exhausted. And so she leaves. And for these few hours, she just, Nothing. She doesn't have to care for Samuel. She can just go eat an ice cream cone. She can have relax a little bit. She gets in her car. She sees a, a couple making out, and the, the woman spots her watching her uh, as you know they're doing whatever you know, making out, and it's got to be embarrassing for her. And she's also, you know, she she wants that, you know. Yeah, she misses that. She misses that. Uh, of course, uh, Sam's been talking about the Babadook uh, to Claire and her daughter, Rosie. Uh, and she, he was told not to do it. And she, he didn't listen. And so she had to pick him up. He's screaming. They're making, they're making food. He's doing his magic. But when, he's, when they uh, sit down, uh, or, or actually, no, what happens is uh, there's a knock on the door. And that's what her coworker, he brings her flowers. So, of course, we now know for sure that he's interested romantically in Amelia. I felt so bad for this dude. Like he's just walking into a situation. He's like, he, like I don't know what the hell is going on here. He just walks in like, I'm going to give you flowers. And here's a present for Sam. And then this just shouting ensues where he's like, you know, he won't let, she won't let me have a birthday. And she won't let me have a dad. And he just runs away. Like, my dick is out the door. (laughs) I am getting out of here. Like, I wanted some. I didn't certainly want that, (laughs) you know. Certainly not, 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 don't want to deal with that. Not, not from, from the get go. But she goes downstairs and finds that Sam has been going through her husband Oscar's stuff because she keeps all his stuff in the basement. And he, you know, right. So, she sees the picture out, and then there is a hat and a suit up on the wall, and it bears a very slight resemblance to the Babadook outfit. Yes. Very slight. So they're, they're um, eating soup, and that's when she discovers there's glass. Yeah, I didn't get this whatsoever. She put it in there. Okay. She just <laughs> She just has no memory of it. But she only put it in hers, it looks like? No, I think it's in Sam's, too. He just hasn't gotten any. Gotten to it yet? Right. Lucky. <laughs> right. And, he, you know, and Sam is convinced that the Babadook did it. But the thing is, what happens with her, and it gets more and more uh, apparent as the movie progresses, is she gets into fugue states. Okay. Yeah. And, for instance, she wrote the Babadook book. 
Yeah, she so I kind of like she was a, feel like. right. She was a an author. She, or she wrote for a lot of things, but one of the things she wrote oh was my God, you're right. she wrote children's books. She wrote children's books, and it did not even click in my brain. Right, and you'll see that later when she goes into the police station, and uh, he he glances down, and her fingers are all black. Right. So. Oh, that just blew my brain. <laughs> right. So she she goes upstairs uh, and she sees that the picture of, of Oscar and her, like his face has been scribbled out. And so, of course, she's angry and yells at Sam, you know, like, is this funny? Da, da, da. And he's he's pulling out his weapon. Right. He's ready to face the monster because he he like he pushes her down she says do you want to die like like she is so like she doesn't know what to do and then you know she's like sitting at the table and she's like massaging her temple you know it's just it the electricity is going crazy right and but if this is like where things are really starting to to go downhill for her already like it's like this insidious thing that's creeping into her and she doesn't even yes. realize it. Like she's she's already un. She doesn't even realize what's going on in a lot of ways. Yeah, like when it's mental, like you can't think your way out of a thinking problem because it's inside your brain. So it's just she has no acknowledgement of this. But her son, who's incredibly smart, can see that something's wrong and there's a monster in her. Right. And it intercuts her like massaging her temple with with Sam upstairs. He's got his weapon on, and he it, it makes you feel like he's seen the Babadook, but uh, because the it comes crashing down the um the yeah the armoire the armoire, and but of course uh, it's the book that he was trying I think trying to get all right, and um, he's like, don't let it in, don't let it in, don't let it in, and that's when she goes downstairs, she takes it, and she just rips it apart. Like, she rips the book apart, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and then she just throws it right back out. Right. So, she goes to bed, and again, she's underneath the covers like a kid. Yep. Which it's something that um, I'm glad you pointed that out because I never really thought about that. <laughs> yeah, there just seems to be. She also has like a few different personalities, like other than the you know the dark one we you know frequently see, but there's also this child one. Yeah, there's the motherly version. She's got a few different personalities going on in the first place. I, I guess so. I. I I don't know if it's definitely multiple as opposed well, okay, obviously it's more than one. Um, you've got the darker impulses. Um I, I think it's more to me it's more just that you have the the regular Amelia, uh just the everyday Amelia that we see, and then you know, we've got this darker side to her, which unfortunately is taking over more and more. As this as the film progresses and as it gets closer to, you know, the anniversary of Oscar's death, which I believe it would mark seven years, I think, this year. Yeah. Right. So seven years. Yeah, because he's turning seven. Right. Right. 
Um, and of course, they go to Rosie's birthday party because Rosie didn't want to have her birthday on the same day as as Sam. You know, they have this, this clown party and Amelia kind of just snaps a little bit because they're the girl, the woman, they're talking and, and they're just gossiping and, and have, you know, conversation and essentially complaining about nothing, really. Uh, which sets her yeah. off because, of course, she has actual things to complain about. You know? She has tr- actual troubles. Right. And these women have imaginary troubles. Uh, meanwhile, Sam is up in the treehouse. Rosie comes up and she's just taunting him. And, and she's like, the, you know, like, the Babadook would eat your mom for breakfast. You know, he'd rip her <laughs> arms off. And, and unfortunately, uh, he pushes Rosie out and she hits the ground and like her teeth is are bleeding and everything like this is not good no but ugh, that kid was so nasty i don't like any kid like he didn't have to be psychologically unstable or different to do that like any kid would have pushed her out right so of course you know she takes him home and and on the way home, Sam goes into a convulsion because he thinks he sees the Babadook and he just starts to convulse and and she drags him out of the car. Well, obviously, then we get to the doctor's office and he diagnoses him and, and says essentially his brain overheated. It just it was too much, whatever you know, he was going through. And and she mentions about how, you know, neither he or Sam have slept almost at all for weeks. And, and she just needs something to help while they set up a, a counselor session. Yeah. And so he gives them tranquil, gives the son tranquilizers so he'll sleep, but they'll make him feel groggy and nauseous and just kind of out of it for the whole week. Right. And they... They work, right? They go home. Uh, she gives Sam the pills. He asks if this is going to make the Babadook go away. And, and she says yes. And you get the sense. She goes in. She lays down on her bed. And, well, okay, yeah. She lays down on her bed. And you, you get the feeling that maybe this is like the best night's sleep she's at, she's had in maybe years. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, she wakes up, she feels rested. She's just like smiling to herself. Gets to sleep in. Right. So she gets, it's like 11 o'clock in the morning. So she gets up, she goes downstairs. She walks in first and sees that Sam's still sleeping, goes downstairs. There's a knock on the door. She goes, opens it up. Nothing's there. Closes the door, starts to walk away, knock again, but louder. She opens up the door, looks down, and it's Mr. Babadook, the book. All nicely taped back together with new pages. Right. And they're creepy, like really creepy. You know, like the more you deny, the stronger I get. And, you know, she gets she's right under your skin and she's like, let me in. You know, all those creepy things. And then you see the Babadook shape with Amelia in front of the Babadook shape. Yeah. So obviously that's, uh, you know, very blatant. In terms of you know what we talked about earlier about the fact that the Babadook doesn't exist, but it has a picture. It has her like snapping the dog's neck, and then it has her choking her son, and the Babadook's huge behind her, and you can see her face is all like angry. I mean, it's just it's creepy as hell. She's got a knife, and it slits her own throat, and the blood. You know, it's just it is super creepy. 
I liked the little effect of the blood coming down. Right. Her I'm like, oh, uh, that that's lovely. Right. So she burns the book outside, hoping that that's going to be you know enough. She goes to the to the um, the police, police officer. Yeah, the police, and she files a complaint, but you know she's burned the book. Right, so her hands are all like dark, and maybe that's from the maybe that's from the book itself, or maybe it's from her burning it. Who knows? But when she looks behind the officer, there's a pretty creepy outfit hanging on the wall. It's even got these like sharp claw-like hand things, and you know, she's all he's yeah. Like the officer himself is very creepy. Like when they close in on his face, it looks like. The skin around his eyes are very dark right. and that there's makeup on top of it. Right. So it's just really creepy. Right. It, it is creepy. Um, so she leaves and goes home and then she becomes convinced that there is a roach infestation. Right. Because like she thinks she sees, you know, them coming out from underneath the refrigerator. She pulls it aside and she thinks there's this giant crack there and that they're, they're coming out. So she's convinced that she can see this. Yeah, and at this point I'm like, oh, give this lady a break, come on. Right. Because <laughs> I thought it was real at first. And then there's a knock on the door and it turns out that the essentially, I think the version of child services is really, you know, what's going, you know, the people that are there at the doorstep and they want to come in and talk about Sam. And the house is a mess. It, you know, she's talking about having this this infestation and it's it's creepy. It's really creepy, you know? And for them, I mean, they're just looking at her like she's a crazy person. Yeah, like, <laughs> something's very wrong. You know, your son isn't completely right either. You know, there's obviously a lot of anxiety between the two of you and the fact that he's on drugs. <laughs> right. Like, like she's he's like, trigger. I'm tired from the drugs my mom gave me. It's like, okay, could you make this look any worse? You know? Right, like, why don't you just say I hate you too? <laughs> right. So, yeah, not good. So, she's, like, doing dishes, and she looks over. She's looking across to where her neighbor, the elder lady, is watching TV, and she sees Mr. Babadook behind her. Yeah. I mean, how how creepy is that? You know? Yeah, that was really disturbing. And, like, she drops the plate and it like breaks against the sink she looks back up and he's just gone it's like so eerie and unsettling like you think oh god now he's gonna be in my house right like you and you're thinking the woman's gonna die like there's no she's she oh, is yeah. she is dead as dead can be because at this point you think you think that the babadook is alive that it's real that it's just like an a, a ghost or some de- demonic entity um at this point, like, I thought for sure, you know, either this thing is going to kill that lady or she's going to, you know, just come over one too many times at the wrong time and or then the mom's going to get her. And she tries to keep Sam up, you know, um, because she doesn't want to be alone. Like, she doesn't want to be by herself at this point. Yeah. Right. That was really sad. <laughs> that poor kid. So, um, and then they're laying in bed and... This is when the Babadook comes. He sure does. So I want to play this clip. I'm going to play this clip for you. Um, it's, you know, it starts off with, you know, the dog coming in. But uh, I'll let you hear it, and then we'll talk a little bit about it. 
Okay. So uh, having listened to that again, <laughs> was okay, the voice is really, really, really creepy. Yeah, that was the first thing that was going to come out of my mouth is like, damn, that voice is like terrifying. <laughs> right. There is a movie called The Mothman Prophecies. That's a good Okay, movie. so do you remember the voice on the line? Vaguely. Vaguely. Very vaguely. Okay, it, it's not this creepy, uh, because it sounds really, really demonic, but it's very high-pitched, and it it's just speaking into the phone, but I remember wa- uh, watching the, the Mothman Prophecies and having a very similar reaction to that voice, you know, like... You know, it's just, it's like this, almost like this high nasally, almost a slightly digital voice in that movie. And I've always, I've always hated that. Very otherworldly. Right. Like need, like need proof, John Klein. And it's just, you know, <laughs> it's very, very creepy. Um, yeah. So anyway, so we have the, the dog come in, you know, she opens up the door and she goes back to bed and then we hear more of it. Right. Like, and, oh, crap, I have no other pets. And then all of a sudden, something comes in. She crawls underneath the covers. And then, you know, something, like, is, is like, literally, like, on the covers. And it's, like, yeah, screaming. Like, yeah, her. it's, like, you know, Babadook, Babadook. And it's just very, <laughs> very creepy. It's very unsettling. It really and is. And then she has the courage. I don't know how she does this. She, like, lifts the covers, like, away from her, her eyes. And it's up on the ceiling. And it just, like comes down at her Rolling. yeah and so right and so she drags he drags um every um samuel downstairs they're gonna sleep downstairs they're not sleeping upstairs and she's up and she's watching tv how many hours is this and she's watching these like old time shows and she sees the babadook in them yeah right and like some of them are like musicals but they're all kind of like very creepy you know and the devil and beheadings and like weird imagery in them. Right. Very creepy. Right. So it and she's she's um she hasn't slept, right? And she goes up to bed finally and she has just laid down. And that's when Sam gets up. And this is this is a lot of ways, this is almost like the moment where things change. Like really, really yeah. change. She's okay. So he's hungry, and he says, "She says, why do you have to, you know, keep talking, 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 talking? Don't you ever stop?" And he's like, "I'm just hungry." And she says, "You know, well, why don't you go eat shit?" I was like, "Whoa, okay, <laughs> you're not you anymore." Right. And he goes running off, and of course, he's he's very, you know, he's hurt. It's his mom just said something awful to him, and he knows it. And and she laying she lays there and and she obviously feels bad so she gets up and she goes and tells him you know we can go out to eat whatever you want so they go out and they eat you know th- this place which obviously is a very it's like a like a, almost like a Chuck E Cheese around here or something it, it's like a kids place you know you go there yeah. kids can have fun and horse around and have a good time and. Uh, that's when she feels like she actually hears the Babadook and she veers and she crashes. Yeah. That poor guy. <laughs> like she just full on right into this guy. Uh, she's driving in the other lane, but like it was really creepy. Like, cause she thinks she sees it in like the rear view mirror, 
and like she hears thumping on the roof like she believes like this thing is coming after her and it doesn't seem like Samuel is experiencing what she's experiencing he's just terrified because his mom's driving all over the road and she's having a meltdown but yeah she rams right into this guy and he gets out and he's like upset of course you know like why are you on the wrong side of the road and oh my god do you have a kid what a what a bitch and she just drives off like nope not done with this <laughs> right so they get home uh the old woman she's losing her patience even with the neighbor i think mrs yep Mrs. birch or something i can't i gotta look up her name but anyway it's, it's even i can't right. remember her name. It, but she's this nice old lady and she's you know so they she they get in the tub the two of them she picks sam up puts her in, him in the tub with her and they're full clothes just sit sitting there not weird Right. So, oh, it's Mrs. It's all. Mrs. Roach, and Sam comes and lays by her, and you know says, "Do you want me to call Mrs. Roach?" And she says, "I don't want you to call anybody. I just want to sleep." And it's daytime, and you know he, she is again. She loses her temper with him, and he runs off, and you know he sits, uh, in the chair, and she kind of loses focus and. And goes to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I think we can kind of, like, just assume, like, the way it was shot, too, like, when the Babadook came into her room, and she's got, like, leaning up and her mouth's open, and you can kind of see, like, when it comes down, it's not as open that it just, that's the moment where it's kind of consumed her. Right. And it's taking right. over. So she wake yeah, she wakes up, and she's like, there's somebody in the house. Right? She's convinced that there's somebody in the house. And when she goes downstairs, she, she finds that, that Samuel is, um, calling, um, what was it? What's her name? Uh, <laughs> her, her, her sister. Yeah. Um, but of course she's angry that he's done what she told him not to do. And yeah, he just right. a bit. Right. So she gets, you know, pissed at him. He he has his, you know, catapult thing on his back and she says, you know, take it off. She yells him, take it off. Right. And so she she rips the basically destroys the phone and she's she's like going off on him and it's She gets out the carving right, knife right, and cuts off the right, line. Yeah. Like, whoa. Right. And he's like the Babadook, the Babadook. I said the Babadook, and and she's like, oh, the Babadook isn't real. It's something that you made up in your stupid little head. And he's like, I just didn't want you to let it in. And she's like, I'm, I'll make sure nothing gets in, all right, right. Nothing is coming in here. And it's like she's got this knife in front of her. It's so, so awful, right? I mean, she's holding this so right. It's. It's awful. It's it's you know look at this kid and he's so scared and and I can't imagine being seven. I really can't. No, like everything is so incredibly real at seven. You believe everything anyone tells you. Right, and he's preparing for battle. I mean, he's taking all of his things and hiding them in different places. Yeah, yeah. That's such. He's such a brave and smart kid. Like it's really surprising. Right. And she gives him his pill. He doesn't want to take it. And she's basically like, I'm the parent. You're the, the kid. You're going to take it now. And and 
So he lays down and goes to sleep. And then she picks the dog up and has it against like holding it. And she begins to like hurt it. Like, and it runs off. Like it. Yeah. It just, I skipped over that part too. Anything where she picks up the dog, I'm like, nope. Right. And it's bar. <laughs> oh, um, we forgot to mention the, uh, the kid doesn't take the pill. He puts it in his hand. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So he's not actually taking Right, right, right. So, right. So she's again up and she's seeing all these awful things, beheadings and all this stuff. And Sam's laying and the dog's laying on the couch. And it's just these, all these awful images of like, you know, animals killing animals. It's just, everything is all about darkness and death and decay. Yeah. You know? It's lovely. And then she sees this program, like it's a newscast of a, of a mother who killed her son with a knife. And she sees herself in the window, like with the creepiest. Just smiling. Yes. Like this evil, creepy like face. And it's just terrible. It's, it's just so, so scary. And she goes downstairs into the basement, which she never goes into. And her her husband is there. She embraces him. She's so happy to see him. And that's when he tells her that she needs to bring him the boy. Yeah. Like, that was so... That was probably the saddest moment of this whole movie. Is that, like, you know, this woman finally... Like, this is what she covets more than anything in the world is to be with her husband. And, you know, just to get it taken away and watch her, you know, dwindle more right. and more. It's like so sad. And then she goes upstairs and she kind of tries, she tries to run for the Babadook, but it keeps coming. Uh, the hat drops from the, from the chimney and, and it's all this. It's, it's, she is being haunted, but that's when the Babadook gets in her. It literally goes in her back. It scrapes her back. And from there we get into really the heightened aspect of the worst parts of this of this whole thing. Now we're right at the end, right? Almost at the end. She is sitting there and she is twitching. Yeah. She's just twitching. I mean, she like, you know, when was the last time she slept? We don't know. Right. And she um or she the dog goes down, the dog the dog gets out. And she picks the dog up and I'm I'm sorry. Um, she she snaps its neck. <laughs> yep. And it drops to the ground. Saw that coming. <laughs> right. And like you can see the 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 rage in her. It's just full on. She is so angry. And then she goes up and she tries to get Sam to come out. And she gets up and she literally just jumps up, grabs a hold of the frame, and starts kicking the door. And she bursts in. I mean, she is full on. She's full on ready to just pick him up and do the same thing as she did to the dog. Yeah, I was like so impressed with that scene where she gets up on the frame and she's just kicking it in. And I'm like, that's, you know, incredible. Like, I don't know if she did that, if she was told to do that or if that was just like her acting coming out. But like, that was like really smart because it was very creepy. And you feel like this woman's just going to destroy anything in her path. Right. So she gets up, she gets inside, and she just screams at the top of her lungs at him. And she comes forward, and she just glides forward like the Babadook would glide yep. forward. And he's pee pees his pants. Yeah. And she says, so bad. She says, six-year-old, you're still wetting yourself. You know? You don't know how many times I wished it was you, not him, that died. 
And he says, I just want you to be happy. And then she says those words back to him and laughs at at him. She says, sometimes I just want to smash your head against a brick wall until your fucking brains pop out. And she says, she says, you're not my mother. You know, and he screams, you're not my mother. And he throws a firecracker and it just, you know, it gives him time to escape run run as fast as you can and she's yeah so she she's full-on chase mode i mean you can see like her face is all contorted um hair unkempt sheen of sweat and uh that's when mrs roach the next door neighbor comes over and she just reiterates to how much she cares about her and sam and she knows that you know they're going through a tough time. Obviously, this is the same thing that happens every year. Not this exact thing, but you know that this is a tough time for her and for Sam, and that she just that would do anything for them. Yeah, at this moment, I'm yeah. like, "You're dead. Right. You're so dead." Right, right. Because like, I, I thought she was dead. So Sam is in the kitchen, and you know, Amelia comes in and gets in, kneels in front of Sam. And she says, you know, I haven't been good since your father died. I haven't been good at all. And, you know, she's like, I'm sick, Sam. Um, I need help. And it's like, wow, you know, you're, you do. You're sick. You need help. You need you need to talk to somebody. And she kneels down in front of Sam. And that's when Sam stabs her in the leg with a knife. With the long ass right. knife that she had earlier. She drags it out of her. She tries to go downstairs. He yanks the cord up, makes her trip and fall down. And then Damn, this kid is brilliant. Right, this kid is like like Kevin McAllister. But then he smacks her in the legs with the with the this like I think it's a cricket bat. And yep. she falls and smacks her head and when she wakes up, she's all tied up. It's kind of like um uh what was the the story of What's that story? The um, when they tie like the giant down, right? Where they, they there's a famous story where he like goes to the world that's all the people are little, and then he, yeah. uh, I can't think of the name of her. I know what you're talking right, about, right. but I can't remember it. So it reminded me of of that, and she is screaming. I mean, she is just off her rocker, <laughs> and and I love that the whole time that she's doing this, he's telling her how much that she, how much he loves her. You know, like he's, she's screaming all, all like the last 20 minutes, she's just been screaming obscenities and how much she hates him. She's laughing like evilly. And she says, you know, yeah. you said I protect you. I'll protect you if you protect me. And he's, he's fighting good against you. Know, he says, I know you don't love me, but I love you. And it's so touching. I love it. I love it. This kid is being faced with something so hard and she's, you can see half of her is, is breaking down, but then she's just screaming and she's like the, the, the rage, the, the anguish. And like I said, at the beginning, the corrosive effect of everything that's happened. Um, and then she breaks free of one of the ropes and she starts to choke him with her, with her, her hands just like the Babadook and you can see it, her eyes are black in this moment like she is really yeah. like possessed almost like by a demonic entity and she's just full on you know and eventually she reaches he reaches out and he touches her face with his hand touches her cheek and caresses yeah. it and she just pushes him away and 
she's crying and she just coughs up this black gunk and her face that was just right right and like her well before that she's just like her face is just everywhere and it's just and then she just coughs up this this gunk this just this oh this awful like like the worst vomit you've ever seen in your life yeah and (laughs) and yeah so then she she gets up um and like it's just she looks like she's been through a war zone and she's you know he he's hugging her they go upstairs and that's when he says you know the babadook it won't let you go and they run upstairs and the bed's shaking they're on the bed and she looks over and the babadook well her husband is there and she just so much she just wants so much to be with him again and he wants the child and of course he's unwilling to do that and he recedes into the darkness and what comes forward is you know the true Babadook and um, yeah right so again it's trying to take over her again it's trying to reassert control yeah, it's trying to take the boy away. But it, it, he, you know, but she's making a stand, and it's almost like you see these giant horns coming forward, or something, or or outstretched hands. Yeah. And he's behind her, and he says, "You know, she's yelling that you're nothing." And I love this moment. She like picks Sam up, and she just, you know, says, "If if you touch my son, I'll fucking kill you." <laughs> and she screams, you know, get out of my house because it tries to pull him her him away from her. And she grabs hold of him and she just roars at, at the Babadook. And eventually it drops. And what drops to the ground is just a hat, a top hat, some gloves and in a in a suit. Yeah, like I feel like she's like screaming like you think you're my crazy side? You haven't seen my crazy side. Like, I will take you. Right. So she goes to inspect the outfit, and it just, it just, you see the camera, right? You don't see the Babadook thing so much, but you just see the camera up above her, and it shrieks at her, and then it flees and goes down into the basement. Yeah. And she locks the basement, and then they go back to bed right well or, yeah. or or they whatever i mean so then we jump forward here we don't know exactly how many days have passed my guess is somewhere between a week and two weeks yeah i think like the uh, uh social services people said it's been like two weeks right yeah he's been out of school for over, for over two weeks now yeah so yeah, they're like it's time to get back, and obviously today is Sam's birthday, right? Yeah, they're actually going to celebrate uh, it for once. Yep, it's just Sam's birthday today, and that's when Sam, of course, being uh, the very honest child that he is, says, "You know, my, this is my dad died the same day I was born, and this is the first time that you see, um, it's the first time that you see Amelia, Amelia's response be." normal well it's not pained she doesn't try to deny it she just says yep today was was my husband died the day he was born and and so 
<laughs> yeah, she's accepting. Right. So then we see uh, she's outside. She's doing some gardening. And there's a black rose that she uh, has planted there. Yeah, I kind of love that. Right. And um, she, he, there's a bowl of worms and dirt. And they go inside, and the door is locked to the basement. And she, he says, am I ever going to see it? And she says, someday, maybe when you're older. And she says, it's you really know, ominous. Right. And she says, you know, don't come in no matter what. And so he goes outside. She goes down in the basement. She puts the, the dirt and the worms on the floor. It slides across. And then all of a sudden, you see the camera come at her. And she's like almost helpless against whatever force. And it's growling. It's hissing. She's saying, it's all right. It's all right. And then... Yeah, like she's right. consoling her insanity. And then she goes outside and he asks how how it was. And she says it's pretty quiet today. And he performs a magic trick for her. And it's it's yeah. a really good magic trick. There's a bird involved. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. Like he... First, he does like uh, produces a coin out of his hands of like kind of thin air, and but then he puts it in this plate and puts the plate top over it, comes back out and it's a dove. Like, yeah, it's really cute. We know what it it is because it's you know it's kind of kid magic, but yeah, it's cute that it, this is what he's doing. He's continuing on doing this, right? And uh, they they it ends with him in her arms and he's she's affectionate and since since that all happened she is um happy um normal and she doesn't shy away from his contact and uh it's and she's you know she says happy birthday sweetheart and gives her a big hug and she hugs him very affectionately smiling and roll credits my one question about like it being in the basement what happens to the worms uh, uh, like, okay they, okay so really this is all symbolism now there's yes. different interpretations but my interpretation and it, it might be it might be a little too literal but i see it as um worms and dirt i see it as kind of a representation that her husband is worm food that's what they, you know, they call it. They say, oh, you're worm food. Oh, well, that means you're six feet under. You're dead. Right? So that was my interpretation, that they're taking the worms and the dirt is a, is a symbol, symbolic of acknowledgement that her husband is dead. And that's really what it is. When she goes down there, which I, I, I mean, does it happen every day? My guess is yes. Okay? I think what she does is she goes down every day to confront her grief. Okay, because yeah, all her absolutely. all her life she has shied away from it. She has hidden her grief away, and what happened was it built up over time, and it became this vitriolic, evil thing inside of her. You know, it's like when people let things don't don't um, when they let things build up inside. What happens? You explode. Exactly. Right. But this is is a much much more terrible version of that obviously yeah, most most people don't experience that kind of tragedy in their lives right and i wanted to mention something earlier see samuel is at an age where 
he and it's, this is like at the very beginning of the movie. He's at an age where he is able to understand that his mom has a deep amount of resentment towards him. Yeah, and she. He also knows that there is something dark, kind of brewing inside his mother, and he can't. He doesn't know what it means. You know, he knows that it's the Babadook. He knows, you know, without calling her evil, he knows that there's this evil thing in the house. It. He's very sensitive, I think, to that kind of thing. Just to his kids, a lot of kids are sensitive to emotion. They know when their their mom or dad are happy and they know when they're not. They're a lot more perceptive than people think they are. Yes. And so in this this is what I think why he creates these weapons all throughout uh this movie is because he's protecting himself and his mother. That's his, that's his job. Yeah. And he also doesn't know when it's going to come out again. So he's always got to be prepared. Precisely. So with with this whole thing, as I said in the beginning, this is all a meditation on on grief and depression, really, because this is something that Amelia has been dealing with for a very long time. Um, as we said earlier, we, we don't think that she's been on a date in seven years. We're pretty sure that she probably hasn't had sex in seven years. Um, she has had precious little to be cheerful about you know she has a child who you know it's a kid they're they're, they're a lot of work so she goes she goes to work every day she deals with everything there she comes home she's exhausted and she has a kid and he's getting older and so which means he's more difficult than ever and oh look you know the anniversary of my husband's death is coming up in a couple of weeks and it's just building it's just one thing after another and it's just too much for her and she just cannot deal with it. It, And she doesn't want to talk about her husband. She doesn't want to talk about Oscar. She doesn't want to talk about how much he, you know, she misses him. You know, she doesn't want to talk about how painful it is that her son's birthday coincides with her husband's death. And she doesn't want to admit that she wishes that her son was dead and Oscar was was not, or that she resents the fact that him being born, well, her go, them going to the hospital, and of course him being born was the cause of her, his father's death. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And that's you know a really good summation of her. You know the grief that's culminated inside of her. I also found it interesting that if you look at the Babadook, and I don't know precisely what this means, but the Babadooks. Top hat and the clothes look slightly similar to Samuel's magician outfit. Yeah, he has yeah, he, he has right. a top hat. Except for the glitter. Well, there's that, right? But um, I don't know that that means anything technically. But I thought that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. He said it's very uh, German esque. Uh, the Babadook's imagery. Right. It's very yeah. Very German. Um, if you go back and look at old German art from back in the in the in the twenties and thirties, uh, Nosferatu is also uh, a high, major German influence. If you look at Nosferatu, the old film, um, you can definitely definitely see inspiration came from from that as well. Yeah, it didn't click in with me until you said that, but it's very very true. Right. 
yeah, so this is this is a really really good movie. I love what I love about this movie is that it's very psychological. It there's almost no blood in this movie. Very precious little gore or blood. Um, I love that it's actually about something. You know, it's not just about people being chased around a cabin, you know, by a killer. <laughs> it it's it's actually a lot more frightening because it's about something that everybody can go through. Yeah. That you can recognize, you know, despite the the things that that happen, um, you, you you may not be necessarily willing to kill, you know, a loved one, but you know what it's like to be angry about something and maybe not talk about it, and how that can make things worse. And so I think that that is something that I really appreciate about this because it's a it's a different kind of horror and it's a horror that we think we can relate to and is just more potent the more I watch it. I mean, I've only watched this twice, but I think each time I watch it, I'm going to be a little more affected by, by it. And I think I'm going to appreciate it with each rewatching. Yeah, like even just like before we started talking... Yeah, there's a lot of mixed feelings about this movie. The more I talk about it and the more, you know, you understand and you dwell a bit more into, you know, the psychological, you know, aspects of it, the connections, like, you know, this is a really, really well done movie. Very well written, very well, you know, portrayed, filmed, acted. I mean, the acting is incredible. That woman, her acting is amazing. Essie Davis. Um, yes. Yeah, she, I've heard... I heard many people after this movie came out um, talking about how she should have been nominated for an Oscar because this isn't good acting in a horror movie. This is good acting, period. That The genre doesn't mean anything. Her performance in this movie is stellar. It's really, really yeah, good. it's amazing. Right. It's really, really good. Um, yeah, so... And the kid too. The kid did a really good job. I mean, this is a this is a six year old kid, and he gave I thought a very good performance here. Yeah, absolutely. Like in the beginning of the movie, I'm like, you know, this kid's doing a really good job acting because he's annoying the crap out of me, which is a, which is what he's supposed to be doing in the beginning. You're supposed to you know feel her pain and what she's to deal with every day. And he, you know, I didn't not believe him ever. Like, he was fantastic. Right. Um, a little bit of trivia here. So William uh, Friedkin, who is the director of The Exorcist. Um, so if you haven't seen The Exorcist, you should probably rectify that. Um, he said that his quote was, I've never seen a more terrifying film than The Babadook. So for him to say that, having been the you know the guy who directed The Exorcist, which is regarded by a lot of people as the scariest movie ever made, um, yeah, I remember when I watched that. You know, yeah, you know, Linda Blair's head spinning around, um, you know, the crucifix, the crucifix, all of it. I mean, it it is it is a very very unsettling film. So for him to come out and say that that is that is really high praise, very very high praise from somebody who <laughs> is that uh, well regarded. So yeah, absolutely, like, it's. You know, the more I think about it, the more I like it. Like, it just like stews in your brain. Right. Uh, the Babadook is uh, Hebrew for "He is coming for sure." Oh, that's not you know ominous, right? 
something. Yeah. So the name is, you know, means something. Right. It's not just like random. Right. It does have a meaning to it. So Jennifer Kent and S.E. Davis um, attended drama school together. That's how they knew each other, the director and the instructor. Oh, so she knew she would be a good part for right. this. Right, right. Definitely. Uh, this is uh, Jennifer Kent's first full fe- uh, first feature feature length film. It cost two point five million dollars. Um, they raised an adi- that's really decent. right. They they raised an additional thirty thousand to to build sets and stuff on uh, Kickstarter. Um, yeah, it's 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 just a really good movie. It really is. And if you haven't seen this, which I'm, I certainly hope that. If you've listened to this, you've seen the movie, because otherwise we've pretty much gone over everything and and you know all the secrets. Um, Which might be a good thing for some people who are like you know, yeah, a little more wary of horror movies and want to know what they're getting into first. I kind of understand. Yeah, that. It, look, it's obviously you can tell that it's an unsettling movie just based on what we've talked about, but it is a movie. For two point five million dollars, this is one of the most assured directed movies I've ever seen for that kind of a budget. Um, it's it's very simple in its own way, right? There's only a few sets. There's only a few uh, different places that the film takes place in. And most of it is in the house. But boy, did they turn something like mental illness and create a horror film out of that concept of mental illness because she is yeah brilliantly she, done. and she and she is i mean obviously she's suffering from from some mental illness right now and she needs to get help for it and you get the sense that at the end of the movie that she is getting she's getting some of the help that she needs yeah she probably is like also seeing a counselor along with her son right so i i don't know do we, do we want to grade this do we want to start grading films? I mean, this this is the second episode, and I don't remember. Do we grade? Did we grade the first one? <laughs> I apologize for everyone out there. Like, yeah, do you really know if you graded the movies? And you, like, I just I can't remember honestly. Um, Sometimes our brains don't work. <laughs> well, it's you know I, because we we do normally grade everything. You know. I don't think we graded Dracula. I think we just kind of gave our opinion and a summation of what we just saw. But if we want to start grading, that's fine. Okay, I mean, we pretty much do for everything else. Um, yeah. I, I, I love, I love this movie. <laughs> um, no, <laughs> uh, obviously. Um, so I, I've, I actually, I actually have to give this, I believe, a ten out of ten. I don't know that I can give it anything else. And and some people might scoff at that and say, well, you know, ten out of ten, that means it's perfect. Mm, yeah, no. See, the thing is, in my opinion, nothing is ever perfect. Um, no movie is ever perfect, but 10 out, of, 10 out of 10 means you're about as close as it's possible to be, in my opinion, without maybe being absolutely perfect. So this to me represents a high watermark for horror movies. I would rank this up there with Halloween. I would rank this up there with the first Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, the all-time classic horror movies, The Exorcist. Things like that. Um, the ones that are like down the Mount Rushmore of horror movies. This to me deserves a place up there. And that's just my opinion, but I, I think so. I think so. Yeah, I think that's a fair rating. 
Uh, I'm going to give it a 9 out of 10 just because a, do- you know, a, do- a dog enough. died. <laughs> you know, I was going to be like, I had debated on being like, I mean, it's zero because they hurt an animal. <laughs> like, that's just not right. But yeah, seriously, like, deduct a point. <laughs> right. But just like, um, yeah, I really liked it, but there really isn't anything wrong with this movie, but it is very on the psychological side. It almost isn't horror. It's just very, it's borderline just being psychological and then delving a little bit into horror, like just dipping the toes in. But as a whole, the movie is very, very good. I just don't want to give it a 10 because we're just running out of the gate here. You know? Right, right. Yeah, and I get. Yeah, I guess that's not a good enough opinion. But. Right. Yeah, and and look, not every movie we pick is gonna be one that deserves. You know, like all the movies, like you know, we we pick aren't gonna be like, well, they're all ten out of tens. Um, that's not the case. Uh, but for this instance, I really wanted to pick a movie, a horror movie that I really admired, and because I felt like this is one of those movies that deserves analysis because it's so psychological. You know. Yeah, yeah, very fair, very true. Yeah, it was a great horror movie to start off with. Right. I really like this. It's going to stick with me for a very long time. Yeah, as it should. <laughs> uh, all right, I think that wraps everything up. Is there anything else that we need oh. to, to mention? Yes. We have our first Patreon subscriber. Oh, that's right. Yes, I forgot about that. Uh, <laughs> thank you for reminding me. Uh, <laughs> yes. How could you forget? Right, right. Come on. <laughs> Um, just to take it right, <laughs> right. <laughs> but yes, we have our very first Patreon subscriber. You know, a big, huge shout out to Jacob, who has subscribed at our twelve dollar level, which is incredible. Thank you so very much, Jacob. You made our day, and we decided that since you're the first, um, you know, Michael's volunteers tribute is a compliment and a blowjob for our first <laughs> subscriber. <laughs> right. Right. Like what? Like what? <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. No. Seriously. Um, getting our first Patreon subscriber um, is amazing because uh, you know you don't know what to expect when you're doing Patreon and you're not sure if people are going to want to contribute to what you're doing. Um, and, and certainly as listeners, you don't have to give us anything if you don't want to. I mean, you know, we don't necessarily require that. Obviously, you know, we put our podcast out on iTunes. Uh, however, you know, we we're doing a stranger things podcast now. So of course, you know, Jacob is going to be getting our stranger things episodes, which I'll be publishing, I believe the first one tomorrow on Patreon. You know, so we we recapped uh, episode one, and so next week we'll be recording Stranger Things episode two. So, you know, you get those some of those perks. You get episodes early, earlier than you get them on iTunes, and uh, so f- being a Patreon subscriber has its perks. And we've got more stuff. Uh, we've already mentioned before, like loot crates and. And, uh, you know, we've got T-shirts and all kinds of stuff that you can get as Patreon subscribers. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this is a, it's great to get a first patron. It makes us feel great. It does it. it you feel like um, you've already succeeded in, in a way. So. 
Yeah, like we just do this for fun. It's just kind of amazing that, you know, people, you know, want to support us. Like that's, you know, it, that's huge for us. Yeah, I mean, we really appreciate right. it. And, and the thing is, you know, it, it takes a lot of time to do what we do. And we have to record. We got to, you know, watch the movies, watch the the shows, the episodes, you know, we got to create notes. We've got to sit down and record, got to edit everything. And sometimes you know, it eats your computer. Or sometimes it eats your computer. So like literally you're sacrificing, you know, your computer and your functionality uh, in using a computer in order to, to do this stuff. So it does take time. It does take money because we do have to, we have costs involved in doing all this, whether it be equipment or, or monthly costs on our end. So it does help us. You know, and we do have goals for what we do on Patreon. We do ha- have goals, monetary goals, because there are things we do want to accomplish and we want to give more back to you guys. So if you like what we're doing, if you find this to be uh, something that is worth your, your time and uh, you'd like to subscribe, um, you know, certainly feel free and it doesn't matter what you give, um, whether it's a dollar or $2 or whatever it is. Um, but it is greatly appreciated and you will get a shout out and, uh, you know, the next episodes, uh, between our latest recording and our next recording. Yeah. So, and, um, Michael has sent out some goodies for you, Jacob, because we decided that the first two people who, you know, signed up would get some loot crate goodies. So he's already sent them out to you. I think you sent a tracking number to him. Yeah. Yep. So he has that and it should be getting there. And I think, uh, should be there Saturday, I think. And you've been entered into next month's loot crate giveaway. So that's something to look forward yep. to. Yep. There will be a loot crate next month and you know, so right now Jacob is, Right. So (laughs) at the moment it's going to be, you know, Jacob. So, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, look, uh, we, we appreciate everyone just listening to what we, we put out there, listening to our podcasts and, uh, we hope that we bring some enjoyment to your day, you know? So that's it. Yeah. We appreciate you listening. Um, we'll be giving away a loot crop loot. Wow. Can't speak it. Loot Crate DX, um, it's the Halloween one, and we'll be giving that away probably closer to December to anyone who's subscribing. So, you know, that's also another like perk incentive. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of Loot Crates, I just, we, me and my husband ordered a bunch and they kind of all arrived the other day. Um, Halloween was fantastic. You know, you've got the regular Loot Crate, which had like this adorable Chainsaw Massacre plushie. Nice. Love it. (laughs) which is just adorable. Um, a t-shirt that has Negan on it that says Negan Sluggers. Oh, that's so awesome. I'm like, that's just cruel. Right. <laughs> did you, uh, do you watch The Walking Dead or did you see the latest episode? I watched the, I watched the premiere. I haven't seen it, but I know everything. Right, right, right. Yeah. Unsettling, unsettling. Yeah, I heard they showed everything. Like, hmm. Yeah, um, I'm glad I didn't eat before I watched that. Put it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. So, uh, I guess that's it for us on this episode, right? Yep, that wraps it up. So, um, I've actually been thinking, and I might do uh, a mini a mini sode uh, 
between this and our next one where I'll probably just do a little quick announcement as to what our next movie is going to be or movies, what they happen to be. All right. So um, that way it gives you a chance to write in, you know, uh, feedback or if you have opinions on the movie that we're, we're going to be doing questions, whatever it happens to be, it gives you a little chance to write in. So it's, you know, it's not like you listen to the review and then write in, which you can do that, but it also gives you a chance to actually contribute to the show that we record about that movie or TV, you know, so. Yeah. And like, if we're going to be talking about our like top 10 faves horror movies. You know, if you want to let us know what yours are or just, you know, write in about a certain movie, recommend anything, you know, feel free. And we love that. Right. Definitely. Hey, we, we trust me. We love feedback. We, we have fun talking to each other about all this stuff, but it's great when, you know, you, well, anybody sends in their feedback because, you know, this is an interactive experience for us on our podcast. It's what we hope for. And so, yeah, feel free to send in any feedback or any questions or opinions, positive or negative, um, and we'll air them out in the podcast. Absolutely. I think that wraps up for this week. All right, everyone. I guess we will see you next week, the new episode. So until then, uh, stay geeky. Stay freaky. Right. All right, everyone.